everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Daniel James Holden, who is sometimes known as the suitcase killer, but he has also been referred to as Australia's most sadistic killer. So we are heading to Australia for today's case. And when I first came across this case, it was actually when I asked for some suggestions on Australian cases to cover. And when someone suggested the case of Daniel James Holdham, I was like, wow, this man is so sick. This story needs to be shared. The nature of Daniel's crimes were just absolutely horrific. And for years, Daniel actually managed to get away with his crimes, which is just so frustrating. And because he was able to get away with his crimes, he was so smug about it. But in the end, justice was served, thankfully, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we begin, I just want to address the elephant in the room on the podcast, because I had to do this over on my YouTube channel, so I feel like I should do it on the podcast as well. But I hate to break it to all of you guys, but I'm not Australian. I am actually British, but I get so many comments and I really do mean so many comments asking if I'm Australian and I don't know why. At first, when I started getting those comments, I thought it was just people from different countries and I could kind of understand, oh, they're not gonna understand like different British accents, blah, blah, blah. But no, I even get British people and Australian people thinking that I'm Australian, which I don't know why that happens. I actually get comments all the time about my accent because no one can figure out where I'm from. And I just think that that is kind of funny. (laughs) But I am British, everyone. I am British. I am not Australian. So yeah, just wanted to clear that up and it felt right to do it on the Australian case. So now that we've got all that cleared up, uh, let's just jump in. So Daniel James Holden was born in 1974. And again, I couldn't find out his exact birthday. Why does this keep happening? But from articles that I found online that were reporting his age, I figured out he was born between the 28th of September and the 28th of October. So he's either a Libra or a Scorpio. And I just want to say, if he's a Libran, we do not claim him, okay? We, we No. And Daniel did grow up in Australia, but again, I couldn't figure out where. I think he did move around a lot, so I don't exactly know the place that he grew up. And Daniel had quite a difficult childhood. His parents did split up when he was six months old, and it was around this time that Daniel's mom met a new man who would become Daniel's stepfather. And Daniel has actually said himself that his stepfather was quite a violent and aggressive alcoholic and he would be physically abusive to Daniel. Daniel has spoken about an incident when he was only two years old where his stepfather poured boiling hot water all over him and it left him with scarring and he actually still has that scarring today. Daniel has also said that at times he would sometimes be locked in his room for days and he wouldn't be let out and he would not receive any food. And it's reported that Daniel had to suffer through this absolutely horrific abuse pretty much from the moment his mom and his stepfather got together 
until he was aged 15. Not much is known about Daniel when he left home. I don't even know the age that he left home. I can imagine it was probably quite young to escape his stepfather's abuse. And it's reported that he would almost live a nomadic existence in his early adult life and he would just travel from state to state, never really having a home. And whilst he was traveling around, it's no surprise, but Daniel did pick up quite a detailed criminal record in most of the states that he went to. Most of the crimes were petty crimes. I think a lot of them were like drug related. But then in 1999, there was more of a significant incident because Daniel was convicted for assaulting a woman. It is said that Daniel essentially broke into this woman's home, crept into her room in the middle of the night and tried to suffocate her with a pillow. But this didn't exactly go to plan. So Daniel decided to then strangle the woman, but she was screaming. So to stop her screaming, he put duct tape over her mouth. Thankfully, I don't know how, because it's not really widely reported, but the woman did survive this attack and Daniel was charged for this and he was sent to prison. However, he only ended up serving a year. A year. And he was also charged with assault, but he should have been charged with attempted murder. Just going off topic here, just for a second, but I really struggle to believe that this is Daniel's first violent crime. It's the first violent crime that we know of, but I truly believe that there was probably more that we don't know about. And of course he already has a criminal record, but none of them were for violent crimes. They were just petty crimes. So for then Daniel to go from petty crime to murder, if he had succeeded, is a huge jump. So I can only assume, I didn't see this anywhere, this is just me assuming, uh, but I can only assume that Daniel probably did commit some violent crime prior to this, but unfortunately he was just never caught. But yeah, anyway, that wasn't reported, that's just my opinion. So in 2001, he is released after only serving a year for attempted murder, uh, but not longer after he was released, he was convicted of another crime. So I don't really know the full details of this, but a woman did take out a restraining order on Daniel after he started stalking her. I hate to think what he possibly could have been stalking her to do. But even after this woman got the restraining order on Daniel, he continued to stalk her. He ignored this. And one day he even followed her to her child's daycare when she was going to pick up her child. And in his car, he kind of like blocked her in to the car park and wouldn't let her leave. And I can't imagine how scary that would have been, especially being with a child. But thankfully, Daniel was apprehended. No harm did come to the woman or the child and he was charged. So this is pretty much Daniel's life in his 20s. Gets charged with a crime goes to prison, doesn't spend enough time in prison if you ask me, and then gets released, and it's just a cycle. So now Daniel is entering into his 30s. And he meets a woman called Hazel Passmore in Queensland, and Hazel plays quite a role in this story. And the two of them quickly fall in love. It's kind of like one of those love stories where it was just love at first sight and they instantly became infatuated with each other. And it's been reported that their relationship, I think it was pretty toxic. <laughs> just wait. Um, but it was just one of those relationships where they would almost have a hold over one another. They would sometimes break up, but they would always just gravitate back towards each other. Now, Hazel was in her early 20s and she did have three children. And it is said that Daniel just took on these children as if they were his own. And not long after Daniel and Hazel start dating, Daniel, don't exactly know why, but he does find himself in prison 
again and he does spend about a year in prison and when he's in prison he has kind of like a revelation and he realizes that he wants to make a fresh start with hazel so when he does get released from prison he convinces her to basically move across the country with him so the two of them along with hazel's three children move to alice springs which is in australia's northern territory and they start a new life together now from what i could find out alice springs is a very remote town the population was actually 26,000 which is actually quite a lot of people. That's around the same amount of people that live in the small British town that I live in. But what I find crazy about Alice Springs is that obviously you have these 26,000 people living there, but there's like nothing else for miles and miles. Like it is so remote. Alice Springs is literally in the center of Australia and it is surrounded by desert and the Australian outback. The nearest city, I'm sorry, we're going off on a tangent here, but I just find all these things so interesting about other countries. And I definitely went down the rabbit hole on Google Maps. I was dropping my man here, there and everywhere. But the nearest major city to Alice Springs was a thousand miles away, which is a 16 hour drive. We have nothing like that in the UK. I mean, from the very top of Scotland to the most Southern bit of England, isn't even a 16 hour drive. And I actually saw this map of Australia showing all of the remote places in Australia. So if any of you guys maybe live in Alice Springs or in Australia, in somewhere really remote, like what's it like? Is Alice Springs really as remote as it seems? Because it really does seem so remote to me. Back on track with the story, Daniel, Hazel, and the three children have moved to Alice Springs. And at first, everything is going great. Daniel is a really good partner, really good stepdad. However, their relationship, of course, soon becomes quite volatile. But Hazel was smitten with Daniel. And like I said, they just had this relationship where even if they did break up, they would always end up gravitating back towards each other. And it has also been said, which is oh, so disgusting, that they would share their perverted fantasies with each other that just no one else in the world would understand. But not too long after they move to Alice Springs, Daniel is looking for work and he does pick up odd jobs here and there, working in car yards and also working in mechanics. It's a mechanic, mechanical workshops. <laughs> but Daniel did have another source of income on the side and this came from selling drugs. So it's reported that a couple of times a month, Daniel would travel from Alice Springs to Adelaide on a drug run. And do you remember that major city that I said that was close, close. It's actually Adelaide that is the closest major city to Alice Springs. So that is the city that is a thousand miles away. 16 hour drive there, 16 hour drive back, which just sounds, just, it just sounds crazy to me. And he would return, I think he would return with various drugs, but a lot of the drugs were for himself and he would only sell marijuana. So both Daniel and Hazel were uh, cannabis smokers, but Daniel also took uh, ecstasy, speed, and meth. So it's now 2007 and Daniel and Hazel start a friendship with 19-year-old Carly Pierce. And they were introduced to Carly because Daniel actually became friends with Carly's boyfriend, who was Robbie. And then through that, Daniel and Hazel also became friends with Carly. And both Carly and Robbie would end up spending a lot of time at Hazel and Daniel's home. Now, Carly Pierce was born on the 7th of August, 1988 
in Alice Springs. And she was described as a child, just very young, vivacious, very adventurous. She was just extremely sociable, such a nice person. And she came from a very loving, very caring family. And she would always be very motherly as well to her younger relatives. And she always wanted to be a mother herself. And then when Carly was 17, she actually did become a mother because she was pregnant and she gave birth to a little girl who she named Candelise. Candelise would also go by the name Candles. That's what her family used to call her. And it wasn't too long after Candelise was born that Carly did enter into a relationship with Robbie. This is where Robbie comes into the story. And Robbie absolutely adored both Carly and Candelise. And the two of them ended up moving in together. Like everything in their relationship was just going so well. But then Carly met Daniel Holdham. So like I said, Carly met Daniel in 2007 and she met him through Robbie. And Carly and Robbie and Daniel and Hazel were really close and they would always spend time at Daniel and Hazel's home. And these trips to Daniel and Hazel's home became quite a regular occurrence. And Carly would sometimes also bring Candelise to play with Hazel's younger child. And for the most part, it was always Carly and Robbie going together. But then Carly started to go to the house on her own. Carly and Robbie's bathroom was actually being renovated. So Carly would go over to Daniel and Hazel's house most days to have a shower. I think we all know where Robbie's mind is going because your minds are probably going there too. I know mine did when I was doing my research. Robbie just had this feeling that Carly and Daniel were becoming a bit too close. He also found out that Carly had also started to smoke cannabis with Hazel and Daniel, which is something that she had never ever done before. And eventually this did lead to Carly taking some harder drugs, the drugs that Daniel was also taking, so speed, meth, ecstasy. I don't know if she took all of them, but I just know that she was also taking harder drugs. And other weird things were just happening as well. Like Robbie would sometimes see Daniel's car in his driveway and he was just like, why is Daniel already here? And he would sometimes also see messages on Carly's phone from Daniel that said things like, thanks for a great time. And this didn't happen overnight. The relationship between Carly and Daniel did develop between the end of like 2007 to September 2008. So the relationship was going on like this. And then on the 15th of September 2008, something terrible happened. Daniel and Hazel were in the car. They were on their way back from a very long drive. And it was Daniel that was the one that was driving. So Hazel was in the passenger seat. And Hazel also had her three children in the back of the car. And they were actually on their way back from Adelaide. So they were doing that 16 hour drive and Daniel had started to become tired. And Hazel was pretty much begging him to pull over because he was tired. She didn't want him driving, but Daniel refused. He was like, no, I'm fine. I can carry on driving. So Daniel had continued to drive. He didn't pull over and he was traveling at high speed. I must add. So two kangaroos jumped out in front of Daniel's car and Daniel swerved to avoid them and he lost control of the car and the car actually flipped five times before landing on its side. Hazel's two older children were thrown, literally thrown out of the car. Tragically, the two older children did lose their lives from this accident. Hazel's youngest daughter did survive the accident. She was very lucky to be alive. Hazel herself also suffered absolutely terrible injuries. She actually had to get her leg amputated from her injuries and she would spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And Daniel, of course, survived the accident with minor injuries. Pretty much nothing happened to him. 
typical, isn't it? And it is reported that he had taken meth before he was driving, which probably didn't help, did it? So after the crash, Hazel had to spend two months in hospital recovering. And it was during this time when Hazel was in hospital that Robbie had noticed that Carly was becoming even more distant from him. And then it was in October, 2008, so maybe three weeks to a month after the car accident that Carly had left a note in the hallway for Robbie basically saying that she was leaving. And then one day when Daniel was visiting Hazel in the hospital, he brings along Carly. And he turned up with Carly like on his arm and he told Hazel, oh yeah, I'm seeing Carly now. I mean, can you imagine being Hazel right now? You're in hospital, you've had your leg amputated. Two of your children have been killed from the accident that Daniel basically caused. I mean, I know it was the kangaroos, but we ain't blaming kangaroos here. We're blaming Daniel because he didn't pull over and he was tired and maybe on mess. And now all of a sudden he's showing up with a new girl on his arm visiting you. <laughs> I'm sorry, no. So it's at this point that Daniel tells Hazel, oh yeah, I'm leaving you for Carly. Could he not have done that without Carly being there? Like, why did he have to make a whole sing and dance about it? So now Carly and Daniel are in a relationship together. And Carly introduces Daniel to her family and straight away, they get a funny feeling about him. They don't like that he's quite a lot older than Carly, but that wasn't even the main reason. He was just giving off a bad vibe. I mean, of course he was. And it wasn't long after they started dating that Carly does tell her family that she's taking a trip with Daniel and that she is taking Candelise with her. Now her family don't like this. I mean, they already don't like Daniel, but they really try and convince Carly to not take Candelise. They say, oh, leave Candelise here. Like you and Daniel go, like just, just leave Candelise here. And obviously they're really trying to change Carly's mind as well, but they are unsuccessful. Carly says, no, going on this trip with Daniel and Candelise is definitely coming with me. It was in November, 2008 that Daniel and Carly did end up taking this trip together. They left just after the funeral of Hazel's two children. It's not actually known if Daniel and Carly went to the funeral, but they did leave around two days after the funeral took place. They both left Alice Springs and they headed south. They did have Candelise with them as well. And Candelise was about two years old at this point. So they end up in the ACT and they end up staying at one of Daniel's friends. Now it it has been reported that not long after they ended up in the ACT, Carly and Daniel started arguing a lot. And it's also said that Carly actually phoned home and said that she regretted leaving with Daniel and that she wished she could come home. And I don't understand why she didn't go home. The only thing that I can think of, which is obviously pretty obvious, is that Daniel was literally holding her there and being quite violent and abusive and not letting her leave. And things carried on like this for a few weeks until the night of the 14th of December, 2008. And this is when Carly suddenly disappeared. So Daniel and Carly had been arguing on that night, which was a very normal thing for them at this point. And it was in the early hours of the morning, it was around 2.30 a.m. when Carly and Daniel left the friend's house that they were staying at. And they drove off together, leaving baby Candelise at the friend's house. And it was at some point later that Daniel did return 
but Carly wasn't with him. And obviously they were staying at Daniel's friend's house. And when he got back, the friend asked Daniel, like, where's Carly? Daniel had said that Carly had just gotten fed up with living there. They'd broken up. And he had dropped Carly to a bus station because she wanted to go home. Now the friend was just completely shocked by this because he was like, there is no way that Carly would leave her daughter at my house. Daniel convinced his friend, I don't know if he convinced him very well, I don't know, but Daniel managed to convince his friend that this is exactly what happened. Daniel had then said to his friend that Carly wanted Daniel to take Candelise to Candelise's grandparents. So it was at this point that Daniel collected Candelise and left his friend's house. But Candelise never arrived at her grandparents' house. And Carly and Candelise from this point would actually never be seen again. No one else knew it yet, but Daniel Holdham had just murdered Carly and Candelise. And it was not long after this that Daniel actually arrived back in Alice Springs. And where does he head? He heads straight for Hazel and he pleads with her to take him back. He says that his relationship with Carly is over, like that's all done, he wants Hazel, he wants to be there for Hazel. And guess what? She took him back. Of course she bloody did, didn't she? So as we know, Daniel killed Carly and Candelise at the end of 2008. Obviously nobody else knows that at this point. So we're moving into 2009 now and Carly's family are starting to get worried because they haven't heard from Carly in a very long time. And then in September of 2009, nine months after the family last heard from Carly, they do file a missing persons report. Now I'm not sure why it took so long. I mean, nine months, is a very long time, but that may be normal for Carly and her family. Like some families don't talk very often. So I don't know why it took so long. I know they were worried, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't honestly tell you why it did take nine months for an official report to be made, but the police start looking into the case and Carly's family obviously point them in the direction of Daniel because that is the last person they know that she was with. So the police go and speak to Daniel and he tells the police that he hasn't seen or spoke to Carly since February of 2009. I mean, obviously we know that that's not true. And the police look into Carly's credit card transactions and they notice that activity is still going on. So because there was this activity, the police took this as, oh, Carly's not missing then. I sometimes struggle to understand how they get to this point. Like they've never heard of fraud before. And then three days after the police spoke to Daniel, asking him where Carly was, Carly's family received a message from Carly. That's not suspicious, is it? And the message basically said that Carly and Candelise were both fine and that she didn't want to be found. So the police closed the missing person file. I'm sorry, but a text message does not prove anything. Spending money on a card does not prove anything. But the police at this time clearly think that it did, so they closed the missing person report. But of course, that text didn't come from Carly, did it? Because Daniel murdered her. And if you haven't guessed, it was actually Daniel that sent that message. After he murdered Carly, he did keep her phone. And obviously because the police questioned him, he knew that the police were looking for Carly and that she was a missing person. And that is why he sent the message to Carly's mom. And as for all of the credit card transactions, that was Daniel as well. Daniel had taken all of Carly's bank cards and started spending all of her money 
on himself. So things like this carry on for quite a while. Daniel continues on spending all of Carly's money. And not only this, but he continues to send messages to Carly's family to pretend that everything is okay. And because of all of these messages that Daniel was sending, Carly's family believed that Carly actually did run away and that Carly didn't want anything to do with them. So at this particular point, Hazel didn't actually know anything that was going on. Remember, they're back together. They're probably living together at this point. And Hazel doesn't have a clue that Daniel has murdered Carly, that Daniel has murdered Candelise, or that he's stealing Carly's money and obviously texting Carly's family. But then Hazel actually found some of Carly's documents and also her ID cards. And immediately she thought, oh my God, he's having an affair. He's back with Carly. So she goes to confront Daniel about the affair that he's obviously not having. And she starts shouting at him. She's demanding answers like, why are Carly's documents here? Why are her ID cards here? But I don't think she got the response that she was expecting. I mean, I'm sure she was probably expecting Daniel to just be like, oh yeah, I'm seeing Carly again. But Daniel just came out with it. He said, I'm not having an affair with her. That's not possible. She's dead. I killed her. So now Hazel knows that he's killed Carly. I don't know if he also confessed to Candelise in this moment. You're probably thinking, oh, okay, well, she probably ran out of the house screaming and went straight to the police to report it. Oh no, no, this is Hazel. She is obsessed with Daniel, so she stays with him. But she doesn't just stay with Daniel, she actually starts taking her share of Carly's money. She goes one step further and she actually pretends in person to be Carly. She actually went to a Centrelink office and what I could find out, correct me if I'm wrong, but Centrelink is Australia's welfare system, I think, and they have offices all around the country and people go there to collect their welfare payments. So Hazel actually goes into one of these offices and she has Carly's ID cards. And I must point out right now that Hazel and Carly look nothing like each other. So I don't know if she's changed the photos, I don't know. And she says that she wants to claim this benefit, this benefit, I don't know. And can you believe it worked? It worked. It Hazel was able to fool these people that she was Carly and now Hazel and Daniel are collecting even more money. All of this went on for years. Daniel and Hazel in total stole around $72,000 from Carly. And then on the 29th of August 2010, some hikers were walking through the Belangolo forest when they came across decomposed human remains. They reported it straight away and police came out immediately and the police didn't know this at the time but they had just discovered the remains of Carly two years after she was murdered. But due to decomposition the police were unable to identify Carly. The only thing that was left was bones. The police did find a t-shirt near the body that said angelic. The unidentified body of Carly was known as the angel of Belangolo. Now you probably have heard of the Belangolo forest because it was essentially the dumping ground of Australia's most infamous serial killer, Ivan Milat, who is also known as the Backpack Killer. And over the years, it's estimated that he dumped somewhere between 10 and 20 bodies in the Belangolo Forest. So the police, when they found the remains of Carly, they thought they'd found another victim of Ivan Milat. And it was discovered that the body could not have been in the Belangolo Forest for any more than two to three years. And obviously we know that Carly was there for two years. Therefore, it was impossible that the the body that they had found was a victim of Ivan because at that time he was already in prison which means obviously that someone else 
was responsible. Following the discovery, the police did make a recreation of what the person would look like from the school fragments that they had. However, absolutely no connection was made to Carly because Carly was not a missing person. And it is said that if she had have remained a missing person, connections would have been made to Carly eventually. However, as we know, the police closed her missing persons file and this went unsolved. They didn't have a clue who this body was that they found in the Belangolo Forest and absolutely no breakthrough would be made for five years. So for five more years, because it's already been two years since Carly was murdered, but for five more years, Daniel and Hazel just went on with their lives as if nothing had happened. And now we're gonna jump forward a little bit. So on the 14th of July, 2015, so seven years after the murder of Carly and Candelise, a man came across a suitcase on the side of the Karunda Highway near Wanaka whilst he was traveling through the Australian outback. And he opened up this suitcase, which I would never do. Mm -mm, no, no, if you ever find a suitcase, a bag on the side of the road, just lying there, don't open it. Just, just don't save yourself that trauma because what he saw in this suitcase was absolutely horrific. Inside the suitcase were the remains of a young child. And tragically, these remains were of Candelise. Obviously, no one else knew that at the time. And there was no soft tissue left on the body. It was just a skeleton. And this is just absolutely horrible. This is not nice to hear. But the mouth had been gagged with dishcloths and then sealed shut with duct tape. The head had also been covered with a nappy. And alongside the body in the suitcase was a pink dress and a blanket, which would prove to be vital in identifying Candelise and then Carly. So initially when the police started to investigate they hit a dead end just like they did with Carly because Candelise also wasn't a missing person. And the police also had no idea that this body that they had found in the suitcase and the body that they found in the Belangolo forest were even connected because one, they were discovered five years apart, but the suitcase was in a completely different area of Australia. The suitcase was found around 700 miles from the Belangolo Forest. So it's understandable how the police didn't make the connection initially of the two bodies. So in order to identify the bodies, the police did turn to the public and they released the images of the pink dress and also the blanket that they found in the suitcase and encourage anyone from the public to come forward if they recognize them. And this finally leads to a huge breakthrough in the case. One of Carly's family members actually recognizes the blanket because it's a really unique blanket. And they also recognize the pink dress because they have a picture of Candelise and she is wearing that exact dress. So once the police receive this tip, they do a DNA test and it was confirmed that the body that was found in the suitcase was Candelise. And then following this, because they now have Candelise's DNA, they run this through the system. And this is when they found the match to the body that they found in the Belangolo Forest. And it was at this point that the body that they found in the Belangolo Forest was confirmed to be Carly. And this was five years after they found Carly seven years after she was murdered. So the identification happened in October 2015, three months after Candelise's body was found. And obviously they knew that both of them had been murdered. So now they knew, oh my God, we've actually got a murderer on the loose that got away with this. And thankfully it didn't take them long to head back to Daniel Holden. However, when they went to question Daniel, 
he was already in prison. Daniel had been arrested two years prior to the identification of Carly and Candelise, and he was convicted of sexually assaulting an eight-year-old girl. And for sexually assaulting a child, he only got four years. I swear the sentences that people have been getting in the cases recently that I've been covering have been driving me insane. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering about Hazel, she's still with him, of course. So the police obviously go and interview Daniel when he's in prison. And at first he denies everything. He denies all involvement, but the police obviously don't believe him. And they get a search warrant and they search his home for any possible evidence that they can find to link him to the murders. They first look at his phone records and they discover that Daniel's phone was located near the Belangolo Forest around the time that Carly was murdered. So this is the first bit of evidence. They also found that in December of 2008, literally just after the murder of Carly, Daniel had actually traded in Carly's car for a new car for himself. They also found that around the same time he had visited a grocery store and bought all of the things like duct tape, nappies, cloths, etc., that were found on Candelise. And then the most disturbing piece of evidence is that they found an SD card that had photos on it from the night of Carly's murder. And I've got to give you a warning here. These photos are sick and disgusting and it's hard to hear, and not everyone is gonna to wanna to hear this. So if you don't wanna hear this, completely understand, skip forward about one minute. One of the photos showed the deceased and naked body of Carly. Another, God, this is horrible. Another one showed Daniel with a whiskey bottle penetrating Carly. And then another one showed Daniel penetrating Carly with his arm all the way up to his forearm, which, I don't even know how. And then not only were there these pictures of Carly, but there were also images from the night of his car accident. Remember his car accident where Hazel obviously got injured and had her leg amputated, but Hazel's two children also died. So on this SD card were photos of the dead children's skull fragments. You've just been in a car accident and two children have been ejected from the car and tragically died. And the first thing that you wanna do is take a photo of their skull fragments. And I don't know why he did this. We can only speculate the sick reason behind this. And the very fact that they were on the same SD card as Carly's body shows that there were some very sick intentions behind taking these photos. Obviously the photos of Carly were his trophies. He wanted to relive the murder of Carly and that's why he kept those photos and that's why he took those photos to begin with. And this is just pure speculation. Just wanna put that out there. I didn't read this anywhere. This is just my analysis. And I can only assume that he took the photos of the school fragments of the two children and put them on the same SD card as Carly because in some kind of way, he almost wanted to relive seeing their bodies again, if that makes sense. Because Daniel, I think we all know he's messed up. He's sick, he's disgusting, he's a narcissist, he's a sociopath. And I think on the night of that accident, I think that may have been the first time that he saw a dead body. Seeing those dead bodies clearly gave him some kind of feelings and that is why he took the photos of the school fragments because he wanted to relive those feelings of seeing a dead body. I don't know, that's just my analysis. That may be completely off. 
I don't know, but that's just what I thought. So the police find all of this. It's pretty clear that Daniel killed Carly and Candelise and he's a very sick, disgusting individual. And there's only one more person now that the police need to talk to and that is Hazel. So initially Hazel refused to talk. So the police arranged a deal for her. And I understand why police and everything need to do this sometimes to get information, but it does annoy me so much. And basically the deal was for Hazel to give up all the information on Daniel and everything to prosecute Daniel and she would get immunity. So of course she's going to agree to this deal, isn't she? I mean, part of me is actually surprised that she took the deal because she is so obsessed with Daniel. I wouldn't think that she would go against him. However, I think she also does want to save her own skin and not go to prison because I don't care. Hazel is guilty in some way. Hazel was able to give details to the police on exactly how Daniel murdered Candelise and Carly. She revealed that Daniel had murdered Carly by stomping on her neck, crushing her windpipe, before burying her in the Belangolo forest. She then said that Daniel had murdered Candelise by suffocating her before then disposing of her body in the suitcase. And it was never actually determined how Daniel had disposed of the suitcase. All we know was that it was discovered on the side of the road. And the suitcase actually really confuses me because it was just found on the side of the road seven years after the murders. And I just find it really hard to believe that that suitcase was there for seven years and no one found it. Did Daniel like hold on to the suitcase for a while, then dispose of it? Did he get someone else to dispose it? Because obviously it was on the other side of the country. So I don't really know the answer to the suitcase. It just all seems a little bit weird to me. And something else that is just really distressing to hear is that Daniel killed Candelise four days after Carly. And what happened in those four days is not known. And this just leads to so much speculation as to what could have happened. I mean, we already know that he has sexually assaulted another child because he was currently in prison for that. But I did see reports that Daniel had expressed a sexual attraction to Candelise. But because of the state of decomposition of Candelise's body, it was never actually determined whether she was sexually assaulted or not. Hazel did reveal one last, just equally disturbing bit of information. She said that Daniel would keep a notebook where he would document all of his fantasies of sexually assaulting children. And the police actually did manage to get their hands on this notebook and what they found, I don't even like want to think about it, but they found a list of children's names in the notebook. It's reported that there was an estimate of about 20 names in this book. And next to the children's names were some of their ages. But then next to that was either the word forced or consent. And Candelise's name was in this notebook. And next to her name was the word forced. And I think we all know what forced and consent means, which is just absolutely horrific. And obviously Candelise's name was on this list. And I don't know any more information about the other names on this list, but I really hope that the police investigated every single one of those names. Honestly, it just makes me feel sick inside knowing that there could be 19 more victims to this man. So following all of this information that Hazel gave, Daniel is still pleading his innocence. So of course, because he was pleading his innocence, a trial was arranged. However, two weeks before the trial, he actually changed his mind and he pled guilty to both murders. And Daniel James Holden was sentenced to two life sentences. And Hazel 
because she had that deal, was sentenced with nothing. And I'm sorry, but I'm not saying that Hazel killed anyone. I'm not saying that at all. But she's guilty of something. I mean, she's definitely guilty of fraud because she pretended to be Carly, but she's also guilty of perverting the course of justice because she knew all of this. And I get that she took a deal and everything, but it just annoys me, okay? So since Daniel was convicted, he's actually wrote many letters trying to defend himself, basically blaming all of the abuse he suffered when he was a child and saying that that is the reason why he murdered and committed the offenses that he did. He also said that he was suffering terrible guilt after the car crash and that Hazel blamed him for this, which, to be honest, I can't blame her if she did. And also that Hazel never let him process his guilt. And this guilt led him on a downward spiral. And that is what drove him to these murders. Who the hell are you trying to kid, Daniel? I'm sorry, I realized that he had a very rough childhood and no child should ever go through any sort of abuse but that's no excuse. And the thing is, if Daniel was a normal person, I mean, a normal person wouldn't commit murders, would they? But if, if Daniel, let's just play devil's advocate here. If Daniel was a normal person, I could understand feeling guilty from that car crash, 100%. But if you were feeling so guilty, why did you take pictures of the children's school fragments on the side of the road? That doesn't sound like someone who was remorseful or felt guilty. So most people weren't buying his excuses. I mean, I'm definitely not. And it is thought that his main motives for killing Carly and Candelise was financial gain, but also sexual gratification. And this case, I just honestly can't believe that it went unsolved for how long it did. And I can't believe that Daniel and Hazel were never caught committing fraud. But this case is so tragic for so many reasons. But something that just really hit me hard from this case was that Carly's mom in 2012 tragically died from having breast cancer. And because she died in 2012, this was obviously all solved in 2015. She died and she didn't know what happened to her daughter. She died thinking that her daughter had run away, that her daughter didn't want anything to do with her. And that truly breaks my heart. And the last words that Carly's mom spoke were, are Carly and Candelise here yet? But thankfully in the end, this case was solved and hopefully the family have some kind of closure as to what happened. And Daniel got what he deserved. He is in prison for the rest of his life for what he did and he will never be able to hurt anybody else again. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And I would love it if you could leave a review of the show. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.